0: I wonder how you would respond to uh, the question, what it is at this point in your life that you, you long for the most? If, there was, if you could have just one thing, there's one thing uh, that you, would, you could have right now. If someone said, what's the one thing you desire above all things? You have to sit down, take stock of your life. Uh, what is it that you desire above all else right now, today, at this point in your life? Um, I wonder how you would answer that question. Some of you, maybe already the answer jumps to, comes to mind. You already know what that is. Other other of you might think you need to take stock. Um, You might need to go back, think about it, make sure that the answer you're giving is not just because you're in church this morning, you're hearing a sermon. But but how would you, you answer that? What's the thing that you, right now, you desire above all else? The one thing that if you could have right now, you would trade everything else for it. If someone could give you just one thing. Well, here in, in Matthew 5 and this next beatitude of verse 6, our Lord shows us that in many ways the answer to that question may indicate um, the state of our relationship with God. That, that the answer to that question has a lot to say about whether we belong to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That the answer to that question might be... Tell us something of what our walk with Jesus Christ is like at this point, um, and, and and this beatitude then takes us to the realm of of desire. Here we have Jesus Christ speaking to the, the way in which those in His kingdom desire, the way their desires work. Um, very often we, we 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 like to forget that for those who are in the kingdom of Jesus, if you're following Jesus Christ, He, he actually controls all of your life. We, we call Him Lord. We call Him Master because we believe He controls everything. Well, that includes desire. The things we desire, God wants, Jesus Christ wants to have perfect control of. The way we desire, what we desire, Christ has um, perfect control of. And, and this 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 text reminds us that here. This, verse 6 tells us that Jesus Christ wants us to subdue, to subject our, our desires to him, to make sure that our desires are in line with him. And I, I feel like the, the sad reality for a lot of Christianity today, a lot of preaching that is, uh, that is you know uh, sought after, a lot of preaching that people find satisfactory, is that they they allow people to think that the realm of desire is an area that is not subject to the the mastery of Christ, that actually what happens in Christianity is that God hears the desires of your heart and he just grants it, that uh, Christianity is a place where you could just be fulfilled. Anything you want, your dreams can be what your dreams are and you you hear over and over again preaching that is in line with that. You hear ministry, you hear hear sermons that are in line with that. Sermons that basically allow people to elevate what their own desires are, allow people to define what their own ambitions are, aspirations are, and assure them that God is simply going to confirm it. It's a wonderful deal, it's a wonderful offer, but it's not... It's not Christianity. It's not the message of Jesus Christ, and it's, it's very sad. And I pray, brothers and sisters, that we don't fall um, prey to that. Uh, I, I don't know, I guess we, we go through things in life, and we, we start to have all kinds of longings, and we, we, we lack things, and we face the temptation of a world that has the things that we think we want and need, and that can very often play into our desire, the realm of desire, and we start to want other things and one 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 possible consequence of that is we actually start to long for that kind of preaching that kind of ministry the kind of teaching that will draw you away from jesus because it tells you actually you can have what you want god can be a pawn for you you can be suffering over god but that's not the bible and that's not god when all is said and done the words of Jeremiah will be, there will be broken cisterns. There will be fountains that don't satisfy. They will leave us empty. And I will say this in the end, we must, we must fight to believe what God has said. We must, we, must, we must find satisfaction in what God has offered and what God has promised. It will be enough. The blessing of this beatitude this morning is Jesus Christ says, you'll be satisfied. There will be true fulfillment in those who follow the way of Christ. In particular this morning, follow the way of Christ by being hungry for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus Christ expects his, his kingdom to be characterized by, and those in his kingdom, should I say, should to be characterized by this um, Ever-present hunger and thirst. That's why I said, at this point in time, what is your greatest desire? What is your longing? Because some of you might say, well, actually, generally speaking, it would be righteousness. But, this mo- but right now, because of this, this, this has taken place, it's actually this. And Jesus Christ says, then you, if, if, if that's your conclusion, then you are, you are willing to trade something for my kingdom. To be in Christ's kingdom our ever-controlling desire must be for righteousness. We're going to look at that this morning. Let's look at this, this the way Christ describes the, 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 the desire for righteousness that, I, that, I, that I'm saying he's, he's addressing. He says it's a hunger and a thirst. Now, I've said a number of times in previous sermons that we, must, we need to appreciate the extent to which the Beatitudes are actually steeped in our Lord's and not just the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, in our Lord's unfolding of the mystery of God's word in the Old Testament. The, our Lord's un- unfolding of the Old Testament, right? And, and, and um, the same is present here. The, the, the language of being hungry and, and being thirsty, right, is, is common Old Testament imagery for describing spiritual reality, you know the, the, you, you, can, you can I'm sure already think of parts in the scriptures where God's people speak about the, the, the language of being hungry and being thirsty as reflecting upon a spiritual reality. so So, so this is not primarily a, a physical hunger, right a hunger and thirst for, for righteousness. I, I say not primarily because of course, there is this area in the spiritual life where both these Aspects, the spiritual reality of being hungry and thirsty, and the physical reality—they have overlap. They, they, uh, they, become involved with, with, with each other because you, you know, fasting, fasting is is literally a uh, kind of uh, a spiritual discipline where we are we're literally hungry, very often for righteousness, literal hunger for righteousness. We're so desperate to be. to to, to know God's righteousness, that we're willing to go hungry for it. Our Lord Jesus Christ is perfectly um, exemplifies this. Just in the previous chapter, right? In the previous chapter, we've seen Jesus Christ hungry for righteousness, fasting in the wilderness uh, 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, Satan tempted him, right? Satan is tempting him to separate his desires from righteousness, You're hungry, are you not? You know, um, elevate your desire for food over righteousness. And you know what our Lord says: No man shall not live by bread alone. Life and and life in and of itself is not purely sustained by food. There's a greater desire. There's a greater need in life, a need that is greater than even the need to be sustained, for physical life to be sustained by food. There's a greater need than that is the need for God, the need to trust God, the need to believe God's word. So he quotes the words of Moses to the people of Israel. You don't live by bread alone. God was telling his people then, don't judge me simply by the fact that I gave you bread from heaven. Uh, don't, let that be, don't let that become your God as though the satisfaction of physical hunger was enough. No, trust the God who provided that. And trust him so much that even if he didn't provide bread tomorrow, you would realize that he is all you need. And so um, uh, our Lord himself reminds us that, 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 that what we truly need to live in this life is, is, is righteousness, is God's will. And we, we can sometimes demonstrate that. Um, in, in, even in, in physical hunger, even though, as I say, this is referring to a spiritual reality. Another thing to say, though, about hunger and thirst and that imagery itself, and as I said, I think it's, it's pointing to a spirituality, so it's, it's almost a metaphor here. But even if you were to say, literally speaking, almost take it to, 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 to use the imagery in a more literal way, another thing that this reminds us of. Is And if you think of it as in sequence with the rest of the Beatitudes, is that again, Jesus Christ, and and again, this is Jesus unfolding the scriptures. This is how the Bible speaks all along anyway, that Christ chooses images, he chooses um, descriptions that reflect just the lowliness of the kingdom. Christ's kingdom is not a place of boasting. Of of arrogance, of being self-sufficient, is the place of the poor and the needy. The place of those who mourn, place of those who meek, of those who are meek. The place of those who are hungry and thirsty. The hungry and thirsty man is a is a desperate man. He's a needy man. And um, if there's anything I remember uh, having taught through the Beatitudes. If there's one thing I want to remember, it's, it's going to be that if we despise humility, it, that's one of the clearest evidences that we do not belong to Christ's kingdom. That one of the clear evidences that we are, we've truly been changed, that we truly belong to Jesus Christ, is the extent to which humility is displayed in our lives, is unfolding. We're growing in humility. I, 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 you see that so clearly, Christ does not want to be associated with the prideful, with the boastful, with those who think they're better than others, with those who are uh, hungry for the approval of others, with those who look down on others, with with those who are unable to put themselves in the shoes of others. Humility, Christ's kingdom is a lowly kingdom. And of course, it's because they're lowly because they believe only God can elevate them. Only God elevates us. And when he elevates us, he doesn't elevate us to a position where we look down on others. He elevates us to a place where we, 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 we say only by his grace are we where we are. And we offer that same grace to those who are lowly. We always, Christ's kingdom is, is, a, is, is a lowly kingdom. But as I've said, the, 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 the preeminent thought here has to be a spiritual one. Those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. So this is a spiritual reality. Uh, To to hunger and thirst here is basically a metaphor for a desire for God, a desperate need for God, the same way way food and drink are are basic to existence, to living, the the importance of food and drink ultimately is that without it, you die. It's not simply that food is fancy or food food is pretty or is is, is, uh, elegant. It's actually that I need it to survive. So when Christ says, His people are are, are hungry and thirsty after righteousness he's saying they're so desperate for righteousness to prevail they're so they're they're so desperate desperate to see God's righteousness that they can't live without it They, they need the righteousness of God to survive and in that sense again man does not live by bread alone in fact The righteousness of God is more important than life itself, than physical life. God's people have been known to give up their own lives, that they might hold on to the righteousness of God, that they might confess the righteousness of God, that they might rejoice in the righteousness of God. So, so... It's, it's a spiritual reality, and it's a spiritual reality that it's not hard to come by. Jesus Christ is not borrowing spiritual imagery that is not very prevalent in the Bible. You know how David prays in some of his psalms. You know how some of the psalms read, uh, As the day pants for the water, so my soul uh, longs for you. I'm thirsting for God. Um, another, in Psalm 63, he, when he says that God's loving kindness is better than life he says earlier my soul is thirsting for you it's it's familiar language of the of the faithful and that's because God's people know what it's like to be in a place where they experience the urgency the desperation of God that can only be compared to a man needing a morsel of bread to survive they're that desperate for God And if we don't know anything about this desperation for righteousness, if you've never experienced it, you don't belong to God's kingdom. The the, the Christian's way of thinking is, if I don't have this righteousness, my life is nothing. I can't be, there's no stability to my life. There's there's no foundation outside it. For the unbeliever, it's not the same. The man who doesn't understand his need for God's righteousness, he can live without that. He's actually okay without that. He needs God for some other things, but if God were to give the other things, he doesn't need the righteousness. Growing up as a Christian, I grew up, growing up going to church all my life, really. I, I remember the transition from nominal Christianity, that is where I was just a Christian because my parents went to church. I was raised in the church to genuine conversion. And I, always, I remember now looking back on it, what it was like to sometimes, you know, be with other Christians, especially this happened in youth groups. You be in a youth group. And I know in youth groups, you always had loads of nominal Christians very often because many of us were just there because we had to be, like our parents were going to vigil or something, or they went to, they forced us to go to a conference. But but sometimes you would find in those places, you'd find young people like you who had met Jesus, who had believed in him, and they would say, they would say things like, I'm desperate for God. They would say, I'm desperate. They would be crying, and there'd be prayer time, and people would be praying, and there's one guy beside you, one lady beside you, and they're weeping, and they say, "I'm so desperate for you, I'm desperate for you, I, I want to be, and you're there." You know nothing of that. I didn't understand that someone could desire this that much. I was desperate to get out of there, like, Why, why, why is it this deep? If you can't relate to that, it's because you've not known what it's like to be in God's kingdom. You know, because sometimes people used to say, "Oh, they're just, they're just a, a bit too serious. I'm a Christian but they are a deeper Christian. No such thing. That's not the truth. Christians know what it's like to hunger and thirst, to be desperate for righteousness. But in particular, right, the Lord says, it's a hunger and thirst for righteousness. My kingdom is characterized by being desperate for righteousness. And this is one of, the, you know, perhaps the most important idea here in this text, is this idea of righteousness. What is Christ? referring to? What, what is it to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness? If you were like preparing a sermon on this uh, or if you were reading the commentaries on this, you would realize the extent to which the, the meaning, I, I, I want to say it, it evades us, but there is, a, there is almost a, a difficulty in being um, too precise. There, there, there's a nuance inherent in what Christ is saying here uh, when, when he's saying, blessed are you who, hung, who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Because our Lord Jesus, He's picked particular words. What is He talking about? What is he, What's the emphasis here? Um, now it's interesting because righteousness is one of the most important words in the Bible. You know, if, if that's, I guess that's the best way I can put it. If you, if you're, if you're asking yourselves, what, the, what are the important words in the Bible? You list righteousness. One, of, one of the reasons for that is, again, as I'm going, I'm going to, I'll, I, I will say more about this. It's just the, the inherent almost nuanced way in which the word is used, right from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So so I'm basically saying, right from your Old to your New Testament, the word righteousness is used in such a way that you have to be very careful to locate its meaning depending on the context. You can't just jump to a conclusion that this is what righteousness must mean because it's used in a nuanced way. Now, I'm going to say in a moment that the new, and I'm going to draw your attention to what I think are the major nuanced ways in which it's used, and I'm going to say that there is such a there is such there is such an interaction between those meanings that you can't you ultimately can't forsake one or reject one um, one of those meanings. When you use one in one sense, you're always implying the others. However, in particular parts of the Bible, there is an emphatic use. There is a particular sense in which God wants you to understand the word righteousness, right? So, but it is one of the most important words in the Bible. And, um, and that's one of the reasons. It's r- the richness and the consistency. So that, same, that thing I've told you about the word having so many n- nuances and being used in particular ways, and yet uh, they're there being overlap between the meanings, it carries on from Old Testament to New Testament. That word righteousness, it, 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 it has the same nuanced meaning in the Old and in the New Testament. So, so it, it's a word that stands out to us. Um, and yet, I—I I might be wrong, but I, I get the sense that it's a word that is increasingly used all too infrequently in our circles. That you know, you don't maybe, you don't always maybe hear a lot about righteousness among Christians. Sorry, is, is what I mean. Um, and there might be there might be a number of reasons for it. One of the reasons might be just what what I've just tried to explain to you—the complexity of the word righteousness. Um, the fact that the word can, if you're not being careful, it can be evasive. If you're not careful to locate it in its particular context, and maybe, you know, um, Christian, one is maybe Christians just find it all too hard to explain it, and so they're staring clear of it. Another thing is, maybe because if, if pastors are not careful in how they're explaining righteous, righteousness in a particular context, you know, you can have, it can, it can lead to confusion, and, and God's people can be exasperated. And actually, a failure to, be, to, to, to understand the nuances of the word righteousness is another reason why maybe it's being, it's led to another reason why we probably see less use of the term, is that one of the things that righteousness very often is associated with now is, is prudishness. So maybe people don't really want to speak about being righteous because they think it gives off the sense of, okay, I'm trying to say that I'm better than you, a holier-than-thou sort of attitude. Righteous people you know, maybe I'm prudish, I'm, 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 I'm close-minded, I, I, I think I'm, I'm perfect type thing. Um, self-righteousness, you know, um, self-righteousness has given righteousness a, a bad rap, a bad name. So people, because they, are, they want to avoid appearing self-righteous at all costs, they, 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 they tend to want to avoid righteousness. But when we understand what righteousness really means, you no, know? I mean, apart from the fact that God's people are, 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 proudly called righteous in the Bible. Most people are proudly called righteous. When we understand that, we will never say that because of its misuse, we're going to reject it. You know? And, but thirdly, another thing, I think, is potentially worldliness. Worldliness is one of the reasons why we don't like speaking about righteous, righteousness. There's nothing, nothing clearer than the fact that what the worldly person wants to do, what, what, what the world wants to do, is not be concerned with the righteousness of God. The one thing the world doesn't want is God's righteousness. Um, it, wants God's, it, it can take God's favor. Uh, it can take God's goodness because it doesn't understand those things, but it definitely doesn't want God's righteousness. And if we become worldly, we also become ashamed of righteousness. We're we, 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 we ashamed of the pursuit of holiness. We're ashamed of sanctification. We're ashamed of telling people, this is wrong. This is evil, and I don't do it. We're ashamed of that. And that could be worldliness. God's people clearly, according to this beatitude, are to be, to be desired. Are to desire to be called righteous. It should be. We should be hungry for it. We should be hungry to be called righteous. And if you're looking at me this morning, and you can't, and you're a Christian, and for whatever reason you don't feel like you can call yourself righteous, perhaps it's a misunderstanding of things, and you need clarity, or perhaps you need repentance. Perhaps you need confession and you know it, but nothing is more important as we, as we, as we live before God. Nothing is more important than ensuring that I, I can call myself righteous. Well, let me say what I think that means though, righteousness, what it means for me to be able to call myself righteous. Now, as I, I, was, I was saying, this, there's a nuanced way of, 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 of thinking through the meaning of righteousness. And what I'm about to do now is not me trying to take the easy way out. I genuinely believe that when Christ says to us that we should hunger and thirst for righteousness, there is a combination of these major nuances of how the word is used in the Bible. I genuinely believe that that's what Christ means, that we should, we should pursue righteousness in, a, in this composite form where you take in all, all it means in the, in the Bible, and that all those things Christians are required to be hungry for, to be desperate for. So there's three ways, I think, three major ways in which this word righteousness is used and what it means when you come across it, and, 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 and in, in which it can be emphatically used in the, in, the, in, the, in the Bible, even though I don't think it's ever without some kind of either overlap or implication of, these other, of the other nuances. So when you see one way in which the word righteousness is being used and you say, oh, this is the emphatic way it's being used, usually you can draw strong lines of implication and connection vital connection to the other nuanced ways. The first way I want to draw your attention to is righteousness being used as a gift of God's grace. As a gift. So imagine, blessed are those who hunger for the gift of righteousness. That's one way in which some Christian commentators have underst- or Christians have understood the verse. And they said, this is, the, this is the meaning. Some Christians say, that's what it means. And they kind of ignore the others. Other Christians will say, no, that's not what it means. You know that, that sometimes righteousness means that but that's not what it means in this verse i'm suggesting to you that actually it includes that in this verse right and, and, and so it, it is true that very often when people think of righteousness especially people who are not if, if we're not if we've not thought through it from the scriptures the first thing that comes to mind is things that we do our actions there's There's a tendency to think of righteousness purely in terms of our efforts, our actions, but also quite clearly, the New Testament shows us, the Bible shows us, that there is a more fundamental way in which the Bible presents righteousness. Perhaps you might say, even more fundamental than our acts of righteousness is God's act of righteousness. And In particular as it relates to us is the gift of God's grace so that in one sense for the Christian he can never conceive of being righteous apart from thinking of it as a gift this is where immediately those who don't understand the Christian faith show they expose their lack of knowledge is that when they if you hear righteousness and the first thing that comes to your mind is the efforts I make to live right the efforts I make to do good things, to avoid bad decisions. You've not understood what Christians mean by righteousness. Maybe you might say preeminently in the mind of the Christian when he thinks of righteousness is a gift. God gives me righteousness. Why? Because we believe that apart from God's grace, Apart from a gift of righteousness, none of us can ever be righteous. The only way you can think that you can be righteous in your own efforts is if you think righteousness is defined by some human standard. The moment you believe that righteousness is defined by God's standard, immediately you are aware of the fact that you can't be righteous if God is a standard, if God is the measuring rod, if the perfection and the holiness of God. How can a man be right before God? Is the question of righteousness for Christians and we answer that by saying there's nothing we can do we can't work for it we can't earn it it has to be given to us freely nothing we do makes us righteous righteousness comes from God calling us righteous and the way God can call us righteous is not because God acts unrighteously if God looked at you and I as sinners knowing that we before compared to his standard none of us are righteous if god then looked at us and called us righteous he would be being unrighteous but that's not what happens what happens is the great story of the gospel what happens is is what the apostle paul develops for us and calls justification that actually god gives us a righteousness he gives us A God-shaped, God-sized righteousness. And because he gives us righteousness, a God-sized righteousness, he has no choice but to call us righteous. He has to call us righteous because now we are clothed. Our unrighteousness is clothed in his righteousness. Where do we get that righteousness from as human beings? How can we be clothed in the righteousness of God? Because God came into the world and was clothed in humanity. And when he was clothed in humanity, he obeyed The law that we could not obey. He kept the law that we could not keep. He magnified God's law that we had impoverished. And he he earned Jesus Christ on the cross, paying for our sins, paying the penalty for our sins, taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins. He earned the very righteousness of God, not for himself. He's the eternal blessed son of God. He earned it for those who would put their faith in him. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive the righteousness of God. And now because of what Christ has done, me, I'm a liar, I'm a thief, I'm a fornicator. I'm, I'm an angry person. I'm bitter. I'm envious. I'm a jealous man. He, he's innocent and righteous and holy. But then on the cross, he takes all that for me. He says, bring your, I'll take on your lies. I'll take on your, he was made to be sin, who knew no sin. It's a great mystery. And he takes the wrath of God and he says, you can have my righteousness. And you can be sure of my righteousness because God declared me righteous by delivering me from death. Death can only hold on to those who are dead in their sin. By raising him from the grave, God has declared that his son is just and righteous. And now we have that righteousness. And that's what it means for God's people to be righteous. Don't think that I'm just imposing some Pauline scheme on on, on the book of Matthew, as though Christ couldn't have had this in his mind. This is what Paul says later on. No, because even in the words of Jesus Christ, think of it. He says, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. You already see, don't you? That's something that they're hungering for. There's a sense in which they have to be given it. In fact, the response is that they receive it passively. They're filled. There's nothing we do for it. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't earn it. It has to be given to you. All you can have is a hunger for it, a longing for it. I want, I want this. God, and he gives it. Again, when Paul is, is, is developing the doctrine of justification in Romans chapter 4 and, and so on, remember who his references are. for for, for justification for what, what I've just explained how people become righteous before God not by the things we do fundamentally righteousness is about God giving you a gift of righteousness who does he go to to prove this point not not people in his in his church not the Apostle Peter he goes all the way back to Abraham he goes all the way back to David and he's assuring us there has never been one righteous man on the face of the earth who did not receive that righteousness as a gift of God's grace. And and so we we learn that fundamentally at the heart of what it means to be righteous is to receive the gift of God's righteousness. What would it mean for you to hunger and thirst for that? And sometimes Christians have said that one of the reasons why I don't think it's the gift of righteousness in this verse is because for you to hunger and, and, and thirst for it would... For 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 God's righteousness would seem like God has never given it to you. So let me explain to you like this: If I'm saying that this righteousness is a gift, and it is, why would I hunger and why would we keep on hungering and, thir- and being thirsty for it if God has already given it to us? And in, in that sense, I agree with I agree with believers that you're justified one time. Once God gives you His gift of righteousness, He doesn't take it back, and it rests on you forever. No, come what may, you, you have the gift of righteousness. I agree with that. But listen to the words, you remember uh, the words of the apostle, uh, Apostle Paul. He says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What Paul is saying is that he made it his life commitment to ensure that no one made him forsake that gift. No one made him think that there, was a, that, that there was a better gift than the gift of righteousness in Christ Jesus. You know that in the context I'm speaking of, Paul is referring to the fact that people were trying to include certain traditions in the life of the church. And saying, okay, I know you guys believe that Christ died for your sins. But for you to be truly right with God, you have to be circumcised. You have to, you have to keep the Sabbath. You have to do this and do that. And Paul, a, a proud Jew, he comes hard on against that and says, listen, I'm willing to reject Whatever you think is meant to be an ethnic distinctive, if it means that I will have Jesus Christ, I will never let anything get in the way of me saying that the only reason why I'm righteous is Jesus Christ. You, you know, what, it might be comparable to our, our church has a significant number of um, second-generation uh, Africans, right, and um, African immigrants, and so on. And imagine someone came to our church and be, you know. The, the rate at which we're having children, as well, is going to be third and fourth and fifth and so on. Now, imagine someone comes to the church and says, "I love your church, love the fact that you guys preach Jesus, but I've never heard your pastor command you guys to go back to Africa. I've never asked him to command you guys to go and you know to to, to, to go and take your your ori- your, your your the names from your your original your ancestors. I've never asked him. I've never seen him command that to you and tell you that you need that to have." to be fulfilled in life, to truly know who you are, to be right. I've never heard him say that. Now think about how commendable those ideas might be for people to go back and go back to their roots and and, and think through their identity and so on. Commendable things. But Paul says, I will never add it on to what it means to be right before God. I would sooner reject ethnic distinctives than have anything get in the way of what it means to be right with God. God righteousness we we must cling to that you must never let anything nothing about us nothing about what we've achieved or not achieved never let that get in the way of what we understand to mean to be righteous before god we are only righteous through the gift of god's grace in jesus but there's two other ways in which righteousness is also used and i think they're also present in the text if righteousness is used as a gift of god's grace it's also used as a demand of god's will Righteousness is used in the Bible to to speak about what God's will demands of us. So it's used to speak that the righteous person is someone who has received the free gift of God's grace, but the righteous person is also someone whose life is in conformity to God's will. His life is patterned after God's desire. And I think that's also present in in, in, in 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 this text. And the relationship might be like this, that it is impossible for someone to claim That they have truly known this free gift of God's grace if it doesn't then result lead to a life of the pursuit of God's righteousness that is to say the person who has received this free gift is so blown away by the love of God who gave them gave him this free gift of righteousness that they spend the rest of their lives wanting to be like the God who saved them wanting to live for him it's impossible to make a disconnection there. So if the first form of righteousness takes us to what theologians will call justification, this one takes us to what theologians will call sanctification. And this is the way, this is one of the ways in which I think Christians are increasingly not wanting to identify themselves. But what is the reason for that? Why would we be ashamed to identify ourselves as those who are in the pursuit we are hungry to be like God we're hungry to do God's will maybe our conscience is is condemning us you know very often the Apostle Paul would speak of having a pure conscience before God he, he before God and man you know what that meant was if he came to speak if he, if he was speaking to you in person he wanted to speak to you in such a way that he had nothing to be ashamed of inside but when he was at home and no one was seeing him he also wanted to live in such a way, he would have nothing to be ashamed of. He was fighting for that. Why? When he had received the free, give, free gift of God and righteousness, because he knew that the evidence and the fruit of that righteousness, that free gift of God's righteousness, is the pursuit of righteousness. So when Christ says, blessed are those who are hungry, he's saying blessed are those who are hungry to do the will of God they're hungry to obey the law of god remember that jesus christ said that only those the only ones who enter his kingdom are those who do the will of his father in heaven do we above all things want to be like christ when i say what's the one thing you long for is it to please god to grow in grace to be more like him to bear fruit to be free from the dominion and power of sin to see the power of God's grace demonstrated in your life, to experience the the power of the Spirit as he bears fruit through us. How much does righteousness cost us? How how much are we willing to, 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 to trade for righteousness? Are we willing to practice a little unrighteousness at the right cost? The right number of Instagram followers, the right number of... Of, of 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 pounds uh, i'll be willing to uh, a little unrighteousness here uh, a little a little lie here a little thieving there a little slandering there jesus christ says no his people must hunger and thirst for righteousness even for the little sins they're concerned they want to be holy unto god they want to be right before god um the, the great uh martinoy jones great uh, Former preacher of the Westminster Chapel, he uh, early in his in in his uh, preaching well in his preaching career, he preached right through the Sermon on the Mount. So there's a there's a, there's a book called Sermon on the Mount by Martin Lloyd Jones. It's a book now, but it's all done in, in sermon form. And when he preached this beatitude, he preached this one week, and the following week he preached um, a, another sermon on this verse, and it was he titled it The Tests of Spiritual Appetites because because Lloyd Jones's point was. It's one thing to say, yes, I'm hungry. You should be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. But how do you know? What's the evidence that that's my, that's my appetite? I'm really hungry for righteousness. Because Christians admit that we all fall, we all sin. So how do I know that I'm hungry? Well, I've, I've listed a few. Not, 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 not uh, lloyd Jones's test. He, he does have, I think, maybe one or two here. These are, these are the things things I was thinking through. Uh, do we treasure righteousness above all other things? That's, that's, the, that's the mark of a man who is truly hungry for righteousness. He wants, she wants righteousness at all costs. It doesn't matter what's going to cost me, righteousness is what I desire. You know, you know when making the right decision, choosing righteousness, is going to cost you something? You, you know when it's going to cost you that relationship to choose righteousness? Uh, if, I, if I choose righteousness, I'm going to lose this this deep relationship I had, but I'm going to choose righteousness. You know when it's going to cost you a few pounds to choose, to choose righteousness? You know when it's going to cost you comfort? If I choose righteousness, I'm going to have to be in this situation that will be hard on me. The righteous person will never say, well, this is something I can't do, regardless of what God's will is. You choose in righteousness. Again, do we pray for righteousness? One of the words that typify the, 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 this beatitude it's Christ's words in the Lord's prayer where he says "He, he says you, that we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. We want to see God's righteousness in our world. Do we pray for righteousness? Do we ask God to make us more like him? Are we always crying out to God for, 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 for more Christ-likeness? And some of us, we, we, we confess that we, we don't pray. Often. Our prayer lives are poor. But one of the terrible indications of that is there's no longing for Righteousness. It's impossible for our lives to be characterized by a longing for righteousness and for us not to be praying because we don't have the strength to be righteous we need strength we need grace it comes in the place of prayer do you love the company of the righteous right is, 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 do, do you love righteous people because you, you <laughs> birds of the same feather flock together you be, because your iron sharpens iron because you're gonna with righteous people, righteousness will almost rub off on you. Are the words of David true about you? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who doesn't stand in the way of sinners, who doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Or do you envy sinners? And when I say do you envy sinners, I'm saying do you envy sinners in their sin? I'm not saying that we don't love our neighbors and love sin. I'm saying but do we envy their ways? Do we envy the liberties they can take? Oh, oh, I wish I could go on a night out and get drunk like they do. do, do, do is that how you think? Oh, oh, I wish I could be in a relationship and fornicate like they do freely. Oh, I wish I was—I had no issues lying about uh, um, about 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 my CV or, or lying about uh, lying to, to impress a, an employer or lying to get, my, get 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 through something in this life. I wish I had no qualms about that. Oh, 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 I wish I wish I could be with these guys speaking without grace speaking without uh, humility speaking using words that are are, are corrupt and that defile and that they don't they're not seasoned with grace i'm bored of these christ seeking these passionate these folks who would hold me to who who keep me accountable these folks who, who tell me to keep trusting These folks who want to pray for and pray with me, do you envy them? And furthermore, the company of the righteous, I'm saying, do we love the company of those who are doing righteous things? Because it's one thing to love the company of the righteous because we find their company neutral. It's another thing to love them in their righteousness. It's another thing to love them because they draw you to pray. Not every Christian improves your prayer life. Uh, Not every company of Christian makes you think through the word more, not every, not every Christian group, not everyone who calls himself a Christian is gonna see you as their friend in your sin and challenge you and tell you, this is not the will of God, but do you love God's people? Do you love the company of the righteous? Let the righteous man, let him do injury to me, let him cut my conscience, let him speak truth to me. There'll be a healing balm. Do we love the company of the righteous? When we're hungry to be like God, when we're hungry for righteousness, we're going to find ourselves in the congregation of the righteous. Do we study the ways of righteousness? Reads this 190 Psalm, and you find a man who's praying to God to open his eyes so he might become behold wondrous things from God's law, because he knows that the only way he can keep his heart pure is by living in accordance with the will of that. Of that law that he has to see so clearly do we study the ways of God for righteousness the the, the sad thing about a failure to meditate on God's Word the sad thing of the careless approach the negligent approach we take to hearing God's Word Jesus Christ says be careful how you hear the sad thing about that is it shows that there is no desire for righteousness but when there's a passion for righteousness, I want to think through the deep things of God. I, I, want to, I, want to, I want to think through it, I want to apply it, I want to hear it, I want to see it. Do we study the ways of God? And, and, and just to show you what that truly means, let me use the word study in the way that the KJV uses when it. When the, when the KJV says, for example, study to show yourself approved, it's saying the, the, real, 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 the meaning of study there is not simply just reading, it's be careful to. It's an ancient way of using the, ways, the, the word study. When I say study the ways of righteousness, what I'm saying here is it doesn't just mean hearing. It was James who tells us, Not to be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Do you really study the ways of righteousness? Do you find out God's will so you can repent? Do you hear God's word and feel the urgency for obedience? That's how you test your spiritual appetite. Does conviction lead to change? That's how you test your spiritual appetite, brothers and sisters, we must, this must be us. This is what Christ calls us to be if we're in his kingdom, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And that means that we are thirsty to obey and fulfill the demand of, of God's word. We're thirsty to fulfill the demands of God. So the last uh, t- form of righteousness is that righteousness is a vindication of God's purposes. So righteousness can be, in the Bible, a free gift of God's grace. It can be God's demands of to obey his will. It can also be used as a vindication of God's purposes. That is, the righteous God is the God who will make everything right. The, righteousness, the righteous God is the God who does not sleep, and so in the end will be vindicated. That's why you can have the language of righteousness and justification Because in the end, God is going to to justify. He'll be justified. There's a sense in which the righteous God in the Bible is the God who in the end, he fulfills his purposes. In the end, he is proven to be right. He doesn't sleep. He sees injustice. It might go on for a little while, but the righteous God, he will show himself. And Jesus Christ says, blessed are those who are desperate to see God's righteous purposes fulfilled? Is that what controls our lives? Are we living every day just waiting on God to fulfill his purposes and his plans? Let me, let me, let me su- suggest some ways in which that longing demonstrates itself. One, it means that we are hungry and thirsty to see God's reign in the earth. That's why Christ taught us to pray. A prim- priority of praying starts by saying, hallowed be your name your kingdom come we start by saying we long to see you glorified we long to see the world praise you the way we've learned to praise you we long to see God's reign it also means that we we long for a future world of we long for a world of righteousness we want to see more people come to Christ we want to see we want, to see, uh, we, we want to see justice served. We, we, wanna, we want a world that doesn't hate the law of God. We, we long for that. We know that we're not going to see that on this side, but we're longing for it. We're waiting for it. We're waiting for the day when this world will be righteous, and God is going to do it one day, and we're living our lives with a view for that, with a hunger for that. We also are hungry to see the righteous God fulfill his promises to us. His righteous promises to us and God's promises of righteousness to us are promises that one day we shall be like him one day we will have new bodies and obey God's will perfectly and we are hungry for that and you know the thing is brothers and sisters if that's true of us there'll be evidence in the way that we live one thing is that it will show us that we will live as, those people, as people who know that we can never be fully satisfied in this world. In, in, a, sim, in, in a parallel chapter of the Beatitudes in Luke, Luke has this Beatitude, not, not in, in, in full form like Matthew does, but what Luke says is, he, he says, blessed are those who are hungry, but he says, woe unto those who are filled now. The Christian is someone who is never satisfied now. They have nothing to boast because they've not they've not arrived doesn't matter what they're, they're thankful for god's graces they're thankful for god's gifts but they hold on to them loosely they never let those things define them they're not afraid to lose things to share with others because they're never satisfied in this world they've never arrived and there's always a constant as much as they rejoice always in the lord they always cry out for him to come quickly is that our lives, or are we so satisfied? Just be honest with yourself. Huh? How are we in this world today? Are we just satisfied? As long as there's no big drama in our lives, you know, we can go on holiday when we want, we can eat what we want, We can. are we satisfied? Or is there a longing? Do we say, this world is broken, and I can't wait till the day God fulfills his promises? And we will live as though we're preparing for the world to come. We will live as though we're preparing for the world to come. So rather than be overwhelmed by anxiety because of something we don't have now, we can say to ourselves, if I don't have it now, I'll have it in the world to come. We can find comfort in that. And because we're preparing for the world to come, we choose righteousness. But also, we seek righteousness in this world. Those who believe that one day, and those who long, who are hungry for God to usher in a world of righteousness, they also begin to seek that world of righteousness now christians should be folk, folk we should be passionate to treat those who are in a, in a lesser state than us to treat them with respect we should be passionate to defend the defenseless we should be passionate to make sure that we do not contribute to oppression we should be passionate to make sure that we alleviate injustices where we can that where, where, where folks where the world goes around treating others as though they are lesser than themselves where the world is prone to be arrogant and ignore the lowly, we are willing to bring ourselves low. We, we want to see righteousness. Righteousness is what we long for. We can't wait for, to see God's glory demonstrated in full righteousness. And so I say when Christ says that we should be, he wants his people to be characterized by being desperate for righteousness, he's talking about being desperate for to, to, to be found in Christ and that free gift of righteousness, being desperate to do God's will and to be made more like Christ, being desperate for the day when righteousness is the order of the day, being desperate for the day when righteousness prevails, when righteousness alone rules because God is, has brought everything, has brought the whole, his whole plan for the world into its consummation. And Jesus Christ says, if we live that way, the blessedness is that we will be filled, we will be satisfied. If we decide, if, we, if we're convicted that the thing we need the most in this world is to be like God, the thing we need to see the most in this world is righteousness, we shall be filled. I think the thing to say here is that there is a very future element to that, right? You shall be filled. So fulfilling will come in the future, and Christians, we believe that we understand that in one sense, it's not now, it's not in this time, it's, it's, it's actually something in the future. And we must never forget that element because what it does is that it teaches us to hope. We must hope The Christian life is a journey and we must keep hoping. And We, we must not be put, put off by present struggles. We, we must not be put off by the fact that we don't have everything now because God has promised us we will be satisfied. And, and the thing there is this, it's a warning to those who don't heed the words of Jesus Christ. No matter how you enjoy your experience now, ultimately, these things will leave you unsatisfied. The only way to be truly satisfied in life is to pursue the righteousness of God. To know that you have been granted the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus satisfies. Friends, if because you're going through one trial or the other, you have come to the conclusion that your life is unsatisfying, that you are unfulfilled, that God has left you empty. It's because you have not seen the glory of God giving you his righteousness. By the way, I'm not saying this. I'm not simply speaking about people who say, things are going bad for me, but at least I woke up this morning. And at least I have my two eyes and my two legs and that, there's, there's, yeah, that's, there's, there's, there's truth to that. But that's not what Jesus Christ is saying satisfies. I, I'm saying there's Christians who could not have their two eyes and two legs and still be satisfied because they know they're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm right with God. God is my father. And that satisfies and Jesus Christ says, if we, are hungry, if we are hungry for righteousness, one day we will be filled. And so keep on being righteous. Keep on hoping. Don't, don't, don't forsake the pursuit of righteousness, because only those who pursue righteousness will ultimately be filled. And it's true that that's a future element, but there's a present element to it. Those who, who, who are desperate for the, for the free gift of, of God's grace in Jesus Christ, they actually receive the witness of the Holy Spirit, who tells them they're God's children. As we often sing, when Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of the guilt within upward, we look and see him there and made an who made an end of all our sin. It is true that one day we'll see Christ perfectly and be fully satisfied in him, then. But even now we experience peace peace perfect peace in this world of sin because Christ is interceding for us even now when you and I see we see our sin so clearly we still have a place that there there is a there is a cleft in the rock there is somewhere we can go and hide when the, the the weight the storms of my own sinfulness is falling upon me and I can't bear its weight I can hide under the covering of Christ's blood my intercessor even now Those who are hungry for righteousness will be filled. Those of us who are hungry to do God's will, even now there'll be something of a satisfaction as we see that he's changing me from glory to glory. Blessed are those who are hungry for righteousness, hungry to be more humble, hungry to show more self-control, hungry to, to be more caring, hungry to be, to, be, to be more kind, hungry to be more like Christ in any way. Blessed are those who are hungry for that, who don't settle with their own sinfulness and say, oh, that's just how I am. They, 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 they're hungry for it. Christ says, you're blessed. God will fill you. God will change you you see his work in you. Friends, the Christian person who hasn't experienced a change of the spirit is a Christian person who might be evidencing that they haven't been hungry. They haven't been thirsty for it. If you are hungry for righteousness, Jesus Christ can reverse what you think are centuries of generational patterns of behavior. My dad and my dad's dad and my dad's dad, they were like that. So that's why. But if you're hungry for righteousness... God's spirit changes his people. He bears fruit. He makes us more like them. Hungry, blessed are those who are hungry for righteousness. God will fill you. He will strengthen you. He'll make you more like Christ. You will look back and you say, I've become more like Jesus. I I really handled that situation that way by God's grace. I really responded that way to that tension. By God's grace, I really processed the situation like this. God's grace, we're filled. And for those of us who are longing to see the vindication of righteousness, yes, it's true that that awaits a further day, but even in this present world, we're going to see righteousness exalted. We see it exalted in the company of God's people when when God's people treat themselves with fairness, when we see God's people treat themselves with, with kindness, when we see Christian communities where God's people band together, and they labor to do works of righteousness. Those are reminders that God will fulfill. He will fill our desire for righteousness. When we look into the world and all we see is sin and we see the, 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 the violation of God's law, let's not forget that God always has his people. Even in this world, you can still go to uh, Christian weddings where riotousness, And drunkenness and lack of self-control is not the order of the day. Even in this day, you can still go to Christian relationships where sexual immorality is not the order of the day. Even in this day, you can still go to Christian employers and employees where bullying and oppressing is not the order of the day. You can go to Christian communities where there's different ethnicities and yet hatred is not the order of the day. And it's a reminder God fills those who are longing for righteousness let me close by saying this I want you to see Christian how Jesus Christ must love this beatitude the Bible often refers to him as the righteous one he died to make you and I the righteousness of God in in him your your, your Savior wants you to be desperate above all things for righteousness if he finds you being insensitive unbothered about the reality of righteousness what he finds is one of his own people who's saying I'm not that desperate for you Jesus I'm not that concerned about what you did for me Jesus our Jesus our Savior he spe- he wants us to be righteous he wants us to be like him he wants us to pursue this this must be our desire this must be our hunger now it's true that I can make the blanket statement that the man who doesn't hunger for righteousness the woman who doesn't, who doesn't thirst for righteousness doesn't belong to the kingdom of Christ. However, what is also true is that very often, even God's people, our appetite can wane, right? Uh, we, 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 we're, we're, not, we're not really that hungry, and maybe there's some of you this morning, my brothers and sisters, you hear the sermon and you say, well, I, I, I'm not hungry. I've not been hungry for righteousness. I've been hungry for success. I've been hungry for ambition. I've, I've been hungry for you know, I, a sense of, of guide, of, of, of direction. I've been hungry for, the, for my children, how uh, I'm, I'm going to raise my kids. And I've, been, I've been hungry uh, for, for a sense of identity. I've not been hungry for righteousness. I've not been desperate for righteousness. I've not sought righteousness above all things. And we need to repent. It's a dangerous path to walk. Well, all of us must feel this. All of us must, all of us must hear the words of Christ and say, oh, I, I need to remember that nothing is as important to me. Nothing is as crucial for me as, 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 as being righteous. Christ wants us to be hungry. Let's go back to our Savior. Let's repent. Let's look in his face and, and see the one who our heart loves and follow his pattern. He Remember, he was, he, he was known to do the will of his Father. To do the will of his Father was his, was his, his food and drink. It's what sat- and it must, be, it must be what satisfies us. Uh, but lastly, lastly, let me also say that if you have known nothing of this hunger for righteousness, you don't know what it is to be passionate about being like God. You you've never thought of this. You, you don't live your life like, the most important for me, thing for me to do right now is to be right with God. It has to be because you haven't understood what it means that you are not hungry for righteousness. It has to be, you, you've not understood what it means to be hungry for righteousness. Uh, and, I, and I wanna say to you this morning, If you could only see that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the righteous one, had to come into this world and take on our own unrighteousness so that we could be righteous, you will see just how important it is to be righteous. You know, someone was saying to me earlier this week that um, in in black churches in America, they have a tradition during Easter of, of preaching through the seven words of Christ. And it's a tradition where seven different preachers come and they preach, each, each preaches a, a short sermon on each word, each of the seven words of Christ. And one of those words, of course, is, I thirst. If only you could see that Jesus Christ was on the cross proclaiming those words because he knew, he knew that righteousness was worth thirsting after. Jesus Christ said, I, I'm thirsty he had to go through the pain of that because he wanted you and I to learn that we need to be thirsty for righteousness. He, he, he became thirsty so that he could satisfy the need that you have to be right with God. Nothing is as important for you this morning as being righteous, as being right with God. If you are not right with God, no matter what is going right for you, everything is really wrong it doesn't matter what you think is going right for you at the most fundamental area of your life you are wrong and I'm saying to you this morning the only person who can fix that is Jesus the only person who can make you right with God is Jesus and it's a free gift it's a gift of righteousness don't delay don't reject it because to reject that gift is to choose destruction it doesn't matter how right things might look you're heading down a wrong destructive path. Come to Jesus. Receive the free gift of right, a free gift of being right with God. Amen.